When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hello. Hello. My name is Seb Philpott. And my name is Verity Simmons. And this is Three in a Bar. Three in a Bar. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Well, guys, did you enjoy your week off from us last week? Did you? I hope you did some nice things. Hope you managed to to like get some stuff done. Yeah. You had had a break from your your podcast addiction at three in a bar. <laughs> it's okay. We're back. It's been a we're back, kind of. Yeah, ish. Now we're... we thought what we'd do we'd do a little in, little uh, sort of short episodes just to explain what the hell is going on. Yes, we are. Basically, what what it is, I'm moving house. Like, do you remember when I moved I moved out of my flat? If you if you're following the story of the podcast, I remember. Of my I life, remember this. You, yeah. you remember. Yeah. So December 2020, moved out of my flat, moved into my mother and father in laws. Uh, so I've been there for three months now. Uh, we bought a house in January, and we've been uh, doing it up ever since. Building work, mm. kitchen, uh, windows, everything. floors, Every, doors. Every surface you can think of, yes. it's getting changed. Oh, that's a job. Now that takes it? time and all sorts of factors. And um, basically, I, I've just literally had zero time. I'm like, if I'm not, if I'm not sleeping, then I'm sanding or filling a do wall. Do you dream painting. about it? Do you dream about painting and surfaces? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So I, I don't get a break at all. Even when I'm dreaming, I'm thinking about it, Ugh. planning, planning what to do. So. I'm really sorry, everyone. Like we we just literally haven't had a, a second to uh, to do anything else. No, I can't even remember where my trumpet is. <laughs> in a moving van somewhere, is it? <laughs> yeah. It's been in storage. It's been in storage. It's no. become part of uh, one of the surfaces. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might have been plumbed in behind the uh, one of the units in the kitchen. <laughs> no idea. Oh. Uh, so so anyway, so well, we thought we'd just do a little little quick chat on here mm-hmm. and then we thought we'd play something yes we to did get, get you through through your, your week well we've got this um kind of patreon episode yeah uh, of yestin davis yeah because you hear us wanging on about the patreon every week please join our patreon go on please do this is yeah. it this is one of the perks you could receive if you do join our patreon we're going to show you this is a complete patreon episode that we took from yestin yeah. davis's episode I think it's like a stonking 29 minutes, isn't it? Something like that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with loads of interesting extra insight into Yeston. It's like a taster of what you could get if you join our Patreon as well. Like if you join the Patreon, the main thing really is that you're just helping us make this show. 
Yeah. Because as I've, as I've already mentioned, it takes time and effort and, and all that kind of thing. It does. And uh, we really love doing it. Um, but we're not going to charge for it anyway for this bit. But, you know, if you want to help us, then it massively helps. It definitely, definitely does. And we've got loads of exciting plans, loads of exciting people we want to chat to, things we want to do, and, you know, just make it more and more exciting for you listeners. So go on, join the join the party. <laughs> That's it. And also, like, once we can, when we're allowed out of our houses... Yes. We're going to be doing live shows. That is really exciting. That's massive. And with all kind in all kinds of different formats, I think. I mean, I've got a notepad yeah. full of ideas. We had we had a really <laughs> cool meeting the other we day, did. didn't we? We did. I know I feel the like day. I don't know how much to let on about that, but it was so good with a future guest. Yeah, we've got lots of ideas. Basically, if you're in the Patreon, it's it's this sort of members club and you're going to know it about is. what's happening. So you'll have exclusive what do you what do you call it? You you have advance access to to um, ticket links and things like that. Oh yeah, everything. <laughs> I don't know. We haven't thought it through yet. I mean, we're, we're, I want to of... say merch because that was one of the things we talked about mm. in our meeting the other day. Merch. And merch. as soon as I hear that word, my ears prick up, and I'm just determined that we get I don't know some tote bags. What do you reckon? Tote bags? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I, I think um, I would buy a mug. Me too. If, oh, if I tell you what, mug. I'd buy. A yeah. pencil with magnets on the end that said three and a bar on it that you could stick on a music stand or, I don't know, a fridge, something like that, and then your pencil's always there. A three and a bar section pencil? Yeah. I'd buy like one of those. Of yeah. Yeah. I like that. Anyone okay. got any other good ideas, please feel free to email them in. <laughs> yeah, if you've got any ideas for merch, if you think, yeah, merch is a good idea, if you just, just send us an email and put in an order... <laughs> Three in a bar pod at gmail.com. Have I got that right? Yeah, you have. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Great. Uh, any, any other, th- if you want to email us about, about any, anything else, like just, just get in touch. If you're yeah. enjoying the show, then um, let us know. If you're hating the show. Oh, also let us know. Let us know. Yeah. Don't let anyone else know. No. <laughs> Keep it quiet, but tell us so we can, we can improve it in ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Nice ways. So anyway, so we've got this episode we're going to play to you in a bit. Yeah. But um, before that, well, we've got to catch up on, on stuff. Like, wh- yeah. what have you been up to? Verity, now your, your kids have gone back to school. Have, What's your life like now? It's really, it's unbelievable the amount of time there is in a day, is what I'd say, first of all. I forgot how many hours out. Yeah. It all started with I had to go back down to, to teach at B-Dales on Monday. So I didn't have much time that yeah. day at all. And they all turned up for their lessons, which was admirable slash slightly frustrating because I didn't get anything done that I planned to do when they didn't show up. But thanks. Well done if you're listening. <laughs> Good job for turning up. And then the rest of I mean, I've been, I was like you were mentioning, we've had a, a business meeting on Tuesday and I've been having a look at actioning that and uh, and just doing things like I, oh my God, I started watching Call My Agent. Have you seen that on Netflix? No. Oh, I made it absolute error at lunchtime on Wednesday. <laughs> I thought I'd just take a little break. I'll just get started on this. It is so good. That is a way to write off an afternoon, I'm telling you. What's it about? It is. It's French. So, first of all, there are oh. subtitles. And once you actually, 
once you've keyed into it, it's fine, isn't it? Um, yeah, but it's, yeah. a, it's set in a like an acting agency, and it's the agents, and it's, it's following them. It's a comedy. It's really good. They have a different French star in it every week who's like the main focus of that episode. Oh. It's just so good. You've got to watch it. It's brilliant. Great. I yeah. can't wait to catch up on all this stuff I've missed. Well, I haven't you, watched yeah. anything on Netflix since December. Golden Bennett. My life's been on hold. I, I got... Like two or three episodes into the Queen's Gambit. Yeah, I'm, I'm, oh. I'm at that point. Do you remember when everyone was watching that? Yeah, I just, God, it seems I'm like a there. lifetime ago. Flipping heck! Yeah. Right, you've got a lot to do. You've still got to catch up with the Mariah Carey Christmas special, then I imagine. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Sheesh. <laughs> so, but how about you? I mean, you've been toing and froing to the new place. Basically, I've been driving uh, from Rygate to Catford every morning for eight o'clock. <gasps> Working with the builder, doing stuff here. I've just got a few more days, maybe a week or so, yeah. left of that, and then then get back to to life. Well, I tell yeah, you what, it, I, I wonder yeah. if you'll find yeah, 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 this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's a Carry I know on. it's a different thing, but like uh, I felt when the boys went back to school and like some sort of normality resumed. I just felt exhausted. It sort of hits you then after that. You keep going, keep going, keep going, and then yeah. you stop, and it's like. Everything just tumbles down. <laughs> Probably why I was watching Call My Agent on a Wednesday afternoon rather than working. But there <laughs> you go. <laughs> well, why don't we just let them hear Yestin? I think he's yeah. got a lot more interesting things to say mm. than we yeah, can he does. spout on about now. So let's yeah. let so, them hear it. Hey, if you like the sound of this uh, bonus Patreon episode and you feel like you want to uh, get more, then there's a link down below in the podcast uh, description. That's right. Patreon.com or something. Hey, and you also might want to check out our social medias this week because we're going to be revisiting some of our old guests and just having a look at what they've been up to and maybe some of their new work, new material, things like that. So just keep an eye on our socials. We're going to, you know, jazz it up a bit this week to make up for the lost time. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and... I promise next week we'll be back with a proper episode. Yes, we will. With yeah. uh, Well, this is a proper, kind of proper, this is like a bonus episode. Yeah. Next week, brand new guest that you haven't heard before. And uh, and lots, lots in the pipeline. That's right. <laughs> so Including check- your trumpet, oh, literally. That's where it is. That's where it is. <laughs> well, look, thanks, guys. Uh, see you next week. Have a lovely time. And uh, remember to give uh, the person next to you a big kiss if you're allowed. Yeah, I don't know who that is in my household at the moment. They'll be running fast, though. Kiss yourself, if you can. (laughs) Well, uh, thanks, everyone. This is Yestin Davis. Bye. Hey, Patreon Members Club listener legends. Hi. Thanks so much, guys. Here we are. Thanks for continued support. This is the bonus chat with Yestin Davis. Oh, you lucky people. Yeah. Now, as always, it's loads of sort of uh, offcuts from the podcast mm-hmm. arranged in uh, some kind of order. <laughs> it might, might not make sense going wildly from one topic to another. So we thought we'd just tell you kind of what's in it. Yeah. What we've got coming up. And what have bit. we got coming up in this bit? Well, I've written down here critics. That's right. Yeah. Um. Arcangelo. Yes. They're a fantastic Baroque group. Yes, since uh, oboe playing, I've got that written down. Yeah, 
piano lessons as a kid. That's right. Um, Dartington Summer School, opera houses. And And we talk about the first time I ever heard the uh, countertenor voice and uh, how it got me into playing the natural trumpet. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful (laughs) stuff. Well, here we go. This is the bonus content from Yestin Davis. Hi, Seb. Nice to meet you. Hello. Nice to meet you, Yestin. Yeah. So nice to see you oh. after 23 years. I know. It's, it's a bit weird. Isn't it? I had the yeah. same thing with somebody. Other, I came across somebody the other day and we, we phoned each other and I realised I hadn't spoken to her since 2003 God. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's so weird how time kind of some people in lockdown, you think, oh, I haven't spoken for a month. Yeah. It feels terrible. And yeah. some people 20 years and you're like, they just pick up. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. Yeah. That's ridiculous. No, actually, we were going to talk to you about, <laughs> I, I assumed for years that you were just an oboe player, Yestin, because I oh, think... Oh, God. <laughs> a, 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 the hand of luck strokes my oboe, which was that... About, <laughs> well, I, I stopped playing the oboe. Um, okay, I'll go through this in a long, long way around, which is when mm. I was at prep school and I was there being a chorister and singing, we had to play two instruments, so piano and something else. And my thing at the time was cello because my dad's a cellist. Ah, But he also wouldn't let me learn with anybody else. So the the evil thing about boarding school is you're dropped off at eight and your parents say, see you in three weeks. And you're like, okay, whatever that is, you know, and and you go through (laughs) abandonment and captivity and all those things, which only reveal themselves when you're 41. But (laughs) I never practiced my cello because I thought, well, so my dad, you know, he's nice. He's not going to do anything. So I got bad at the cello, but I excelled at the recorder. So I kind of nailed grade seven or eight or something when I was about nine. And I was like flying around the Albanoni. And then the head of music said, you need to have a serious instrument to join the orchestra. And so oboe was put my way. I wanted to learn the clarinet, but my mum seemed to love the oboe. But she never played it or made a read, so she was wrong. And... Um, <laughs> And so uh, I did. Play, I did play the oboe, and then yeah, I, I you know finished all the grades, completed the oboe, and then, yeah. <laughs> and then I it sort of went into a cupboard because when I started to take singing seriously, I had a lesson with uh, a teacher, come osteopath, who said, "Oh, you've got very rounded shoulders," which possibly was just my thing anyway. But he said, "Do you play a wind instrument?" I said, "Yeah, I do," and he said there was a lot of tension up my neck and thing mouth and blah blah blah. and he said well maybe stop playing the oboe and I said okay fine <laughs> so I had <laughs> green lights and it sat yeah, under my bed name. for a while when I moved to York um after the academy as a flat um it just sort of gathered dust somewhere and then I was burgled and um I was away at the time I was in Houston doing an opera and a friend of mine was singing opera north and he was staying in my flat and he rang me and said hey dude sorry for ringing you really early but um I've just come back. I was away. I locked myself out of your flat and I've come back and um, I think you've been burgled. I said, oh, okay, what's gone? He said, well, not much really. I mean, the TV's gone. Uh, I don't know about anything else. And so when I came out, I discovered that there was the TV gone, but it wasn't really much, the, a little camera and then and like maybe a watch or something. So it was fine. And about yeah. a year later, my mum said, where's your oboe? And I said, it's under the bed. And I went to look and said, it's not under the bed. And we looked everywhere in this tiny flat. And I said, maybe it was stolen because it looks a little bit like a really big laptop from the yeah. 80s. And so it, uh, parents who have children who play instruments often put it on their own insurance because it's a traveling thing. So it turned out that we could claim the insurance on it. So the stroke of luck was that I got all the insurance money for it. And I was no. going to sell it anyway. Um, 
And because my my last Oboe teacher by chance is was principal over English National Opera, Opera Ruth Bollister, and yeah. um, well, she was called Ruth Scott at school, um, and she was going to look at it for me and price it up and stuff. <laughs> and I just said, "Don't worry, please pay for it or whatever." Someone pay for it. <laughs> but I think there's somebody in York right now with some kind of cat burglar who's now the Leon Goosens of of cat burglaring. Who sort of you know. <laughs> Hyde Pipers his way around York and burgles people with this rigger tap. <laughs> yeah. Or it's in a skip. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think that they took it really seriously, got the but you, tuna But day you were book. a cellist at school, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. I'm, yeah. still, I'm a cellist, yeah. I'm still a cellist. Yeah, yeah. I wonder yeah, whether yeah. you didn't play anything else as well. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, I did piano exams as well. I learned with a really long-suffering piano teacher at Wells who... who? Uh, oh, God, what was her name? Oh, Hillary Lady Coach. with... No, no. Uh, lady with curly hair. What was her name? Anne. Anne... This means nothing to anyone listening, but no, we went to a school where really, there yeah. were some really, you know, intense She used teachers. to cry. She used to cry in my lessons, and it wasn't even just down to my playing. It was just, she'd like, she used to sort of, I'd play something, and then she'd start talking and cry. It was really quite painful. That's right. I mean, were you obviously a very moving player. You I think I was. I think it's my grade seven pieces were just so delightful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I could remember her name. Anne. Anyway, she won't want to, um, want to hear this. Anne, if you're listening, don't I'm worry. I'm sorry, Anne. I've stopped playing. Don't worry. Dry your tears. Yeah. Did you practice Verity? Piano? No. Yeah. no never. But for no. ridiculously, when I went to Guildhall, I carried it on as a second study instrument. And I remember meeting my friend Pete, who was a cellist as well, and we'd meet at about half past seven on the day of our piano lessons with yeah. poor old Peter Bithell, who just must have like, thought, why, why are they bothering? Why are they going through this facade? I do the same things every week, like pretending I was going to take my grade eight. Never happen. <laughs> I, I did a similar did thing as a, at junior college, and you had to do piano I think it was a second study, yeah, a third study, and uh, so. But my teacher, he he kind of knew I wasn't really practicing, and we'd just do. I oh, would we'll just do sight reading again this week, yeah, and we'd just play, just play some stuff through, and <laughs> yeah, that was it. Really, didn't really progress at all. No, I wish I had. I yeah, really, I oh, do too. I, I, do. I, I massively I'm, wish I'd, I'd had a different sort of approach to it because it was mm. done. I started learning when I was four or something insane, yeah. but. Sorry about eating. I just realised it's probably not very good on a podcast. <laughs> mm. So we'll have to have a special warning at the start. M&S. Of um, <laughs> Heavily sponsored by M&S sausage. Um, but the the way grades were done at schools, and things like that, it was just all about learning three pieces. I wish yeah. I'd done improvisation. I wish I'd been taught how to play jazz. I wish, yeah. I wish I could understand why it was I had to do these Behringer studies. It's like, why do I have to do this? Because... I don't know, this is, you know, something that I go back and think about all the time. But when I did A-level music, when we did A-level music, already, mm. I knew nothing. I literally was just like floating through this world thinking, well, I sang as a boy, so I know a bit about choral music, but I don't know anything. And I remember my dad saying to me one day, he said, can you not spot when music sounds English? And now I know what he's talking about, you know, Vaughan Williams. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. At the time I was like, no. Yeah. And he was just like, what's going on? And it was just that sort of, that thing that, something about people who were very good at music in some respect, whether they're good at an instrument or good at singing or something, Mm. everything else about it, it's just not joined up. And it's something you discover. I discovered it really at at university. I used I, throughout my teenage years, I listened to pop music all the time. And I just hated the idea of classical music. It was like really boring. And then when I went to university, something 
something matured in me is I just stopped listening to pop music. It just, it just it no longer seemed a thing. And perhaps that's to do yeah. with just identity crisis when you're a teenager and just wanting to be cool. But yeah. at university, because I started singing more seriously, I started listening to repertoire that I could sing. And then it started, it started to grab me and I was like, wow, that's really powerful. And then I yeah. just, you know, followed chains of things. And I think, um, it was only then that I started to understand the history of music and start to listen to things critically and start going, oh, okay, I can turn on the radio and tell you exactly who that was, certainly what country it's written in and stuff like that. And at A-level, somehow I got an A by not having a clue about any of that stuff. Yeah. And I mean, that's I really scary. Same. Mm. I, I have absolutely no clue because I think I knew my, I knew my anthology and that was uh, that was like the world. That was everything. It was so narrow. Exactly well, we that. studied on the anthology. We studied yeah. an aria from Julius Caesar by Handel. Yeah. Which I now sing. And I, I went through the anthology a couple of years ago. I was looking at it. And I looked at it and I thought, hang on a second. This is Aure de Pepiatara. And it and I suddenly had these, and I'd written things in. Like it goes, <laughs> at the beginning it goes, and we'd written waves. Because <laughs> at that point, Caesar is there's he's washed up on a beach and he sort of climbs out the sea. And so, and I remember our teacher, uh, Dr. Hilary Wynne Murphy, had oh. said, this is the sort of imitation of waves and stuff. And just we just were verbatim written waves at the top. So that when it comes to the exam saying, <laughs> this is waves. And, <laughs> yeah. and now I'm like, this is some of the greatest music I've written. And I yeah. sing it. I should be singing it right now. <laughs> and um, I'd studied it and it completely passed me by. It was still recording of Janet Baker singing or something like that. Yeah. I, I just really sad. It's like, what a waste of education that is. But then <laughs> we were the we were in the school where that was the pinnacle of musical education. So I assume. Yeah. The reason it's all dumbed down now is because it's pointless even trying to elevate it. Because there was only ever like one or two people in our class who I could name, but I won't, who knew everything. Mm. And the music teachers latched onto them and enjoyed talking with them. Mm. And, um, yeah, you know, as long as you did your instrument, you were fine. Not much time to play with when you're young. You just come out of college. Like you've only got a few years to try and get an agent get and get um sort of a reputation by the time yeah. you're sort of 30 or so um otherwise it's not going to happen is it i saw that i think there are too many people at college as well but when i went i remember someone the year above me saying that the year before i'd been there'd been like 10 people singing on postgraduate and the year i went there were 30 and that and i think it, it gives too much hope to people and i do think you know the pandemic showed a lot that there are too many singers for example for the jobs that are available and there were a lot of people who realised that quite quickly and said, actually, you know what? I, I could do the odd job here and there and perform on this sort of level, but I've got a salary if I go and be a teacher and I quite enjoy that. And I don't, you know, I'm not ashamed by doing that. And I think it's people find their niche. Uh, they join Royal Opera House Chorus or whatever, and they just think, you know what? I've got a salary. I can roll BBC Singers or whatever, and they can rely on that. And it takes a certain tenacity to say, I'm going to put up with all the travel and all that kind of stuff and, 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 the rejection and and some people really surprised me there was there was some i when i in my gap year at wells so after i left school i sang at the cathedral for a year and there was a guy who went to the blue school which is the state school in wells and called david butt phillip and oh, yeah. he oh yeah and he worked in wine rack he ran basically wine rack during the week and oh. he used to because he sang a bit he used to come around knock on our door and come around and play playstation 2 and stuff and and then and dave was like the guy you saw in the pub who wanted to be a singer, but just wasn't quite good enough. And he said his bar baritone voice hadn't really developed. He was considering singing counter center, which is always a mistake. And, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. 
And I just thought, you know, it's Dave. He'll be a crossing or whatever. And he went off to, I think it was Liverpool. And then he went to Manchester and blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly about, I don't know, six years ago, he was on the, the Young Artist Programme at the Royal Opera House. And now he is, along with another friend of mine, the most in-demand tenor of our generation. Oh my God. And it's just extraordinary. And yeah. he's, he's and, and Dave's just suddenly, it's so cool when people do that because yeah. it's not the predictable, you have to be brilliant at music college thing. And I, I love that, that, that he just sort of, that I could see now back in 1999, 2000, there was some sort of drive in him. He said, I, I know I can do this, but he just hadn't found his moment. And it happens to people at different times. And for me, it happened. It didn't happen when I was 18. There were lots of other people who were very good at singing. And for me, it just, it, I, but I had that thing. I thought, I can definitely do this. I just don't know when. And nobody said, oh, you should do it. I just sort of stuck with it. You say that you, you know when you've done something well, despite what a reviewer has said. Yeah. Like you've got a sort of confidence in that. How do you know you've done it well? Like, like, did you listen to yourself a lot when you when you were younger, or record no. yourself? Or I think it's more experience in the sense that I you, you start to appreciate that live performance is where it's at. In the sense that mm. you have absolutely no. It's it's true in life generally. You have no control over other people's emotions. If a person has an emotional reaction to you, it's not your fault. Yeah, I mean, in the sense yeah, that yeah, yeah. you have to sort of submit to that in relationships and anything and music is the same music provokes something in people but everybody has a different experience and you can't gauge in a way we we tend to think as as human beings we think oh well if there was lots of bravos and clapping then generally it's expensive people it's you know it's like it was good but actually that's sort of bollocks because i think everybody just comes to it in a different place and there's some people who know know nothing about what they're hearing and they come along and say i loved it but they're not mm. critical and there's critics who come along and say well i heard something better or there's people who listen to your cd and say oh what are the i just think it's sort of you have a feel i don't know it's it's some sort of feeling that in the moment it's gone forever and that's the thing and a reviewer will go home they'll ruminate on it they'll go to sleep they'll wake up and they will definitely have a different experience the next mm. day from what they had at the time um and I, I think that's that's the thing about what I find weird about critics in general for classical music is they're reviewing things that will never happen again. Whereas I think when I did that, uh, I did a play, um, Farinelli and the King, I experienced what it was like to be on Broadway where the reviews really count because they, they review shows that are not yet the finished article and then it opens. And so you think, okay, yeah, we, we really need the reviews. We need you to write good things so people buy tickets. Whereas in opera, there's like seven performances and the reviewer might come, probably comes to the first performance and says, this is a hit. And then everybody has like six chances to buy a ticket, by which time most people have bought the ticket, they like it or not. And, or they come to the third performance and said, oh, it's better than now. It's sounding really good. And it's just like, it's it's just like people going to an art exhibition, looking at some art from 300 years ago saying, I like it, I don't like it. In a way, no one cares what you think because it has no implication on anything else. Um, but at the same time, you sort of have to respect them. But I, I don't know, it's, it's, I sort of think that a lot of singers have, or musicians have that problem. Is like, what do you, what do you take from a review? Yeah, and how to judge it. Um, and I think, the, you know, a lot of people worry so much about these things. Um, do you read most of them? I have done. Yeah, but in a weird way, it's it, it, obviously your brain always remembers negative things because it's teaching you to survive. Yeah. Um, and it is interesting how you know 
you can you look at your career and you think, okay, 80% of the time, it's fine. And then 20% of the time, it's really horrible. And you only remember the 20%. And it's stupid. It's completely stupid and it's completely pointless because you're looking at something that has happened, has gone, and lots of people enjoyed it. And they paid money to see it. And the person who didn't pay any money didn't enjoy it. And you think, well, what kind of life do you lead where you go to something you didn't pay to go to and you got a free ticket and then you hated it and you went home? It's like, well you definitely lost and yet I feel like I lost and it's it's totally nuts yeah totally Um, it's a weird unnatural thing is that they're not experiencing it like anyone else in the audience because because if you buy a ticket and you go with your partner or some friends and you go for dinner before it's all a part of the experience isn't it and then then you're looking forward all day to seeing the show and And also we see I think in classical music we we are very much programmed to think that everybody's like a critic and they all turn up and actually there's Mm. lots of people who you don't know what they're going to see. They no. genuinely, they're brought by friends and stuff and they want yeah, to have a good yeah. time. And actually they find it very intimidating to be told, you know, you need to know what you think. And I think most people are like that. And um, in a way that's that's sort of really nice because it takes the pressure off. And it wasn't, funny enough, it wasn't until I went to the sort of the microcosm of America where I was, you know, on Broadway for six months and doing the same thing every day. And I was like, I injured myself doing some, fake exercise and I was like oh my god and a friend of mine said oh go and see this physio and he happened to have a gym and he said why didn't you come and train with it and so I suddenly got into three months of doing three sessions a week with this this guy called Chase um, (laughs) who who was like this shape and (laughs) and it was amazing I lost a stone and and ever since then I've sort of stayed under 11 stone it's weird you suddenly change the way you eat and everything I'm not so it's impossible to do any exercise at the moment, really proper exercise. But um, that was a big life-changing thing because I just thought I suddenly noticed you see yourself in a photograph. You think, yeah, I was really reaching 40 at that time. I was really hitting 40. 40. Yes. And there's this one terrible interview I did at the back of King's Cross. <laughs> um, that sounds a bit odd, but somebody wanted to interview me. I said, oh, I'm getting for train. I'll meet you at King's Cross. And I just sat by this sort of advertising hoarding. And that you know how YouTube selects an image from the video? Yeah. And I'm just sitting there, like jab at the heart, going, <laughs> and I look at it when I see it on YouTube and think, I, I just want that to disappear because, it was, you know, whatever it was, my maximum fighting weight at the time. You were mentioning earlier about the acoustics in places where it's been so difficult, but have you got venues, like especially for opera, that you really look forward to going to? Um, well, actually, I always say the Widmore Hall is my favourite place to sing, and not for opera. Just it's just so glorious there. It's like singing in the shower. It's so good. Um, but I mean, opera houses in America are too big, so I never really look forward to going there. Uh, I mean, I do because it's kind of New York's cool and stuff. But it's so you always feel like everything is forte. It's like, um, I think Glyndebourne's amazing. That's a really great opera house because I really enjoy going to Bordeaux Opera House because it's an 18th century opera house and it's in Bordeaux. It's my favourite place ever. Oh, I really want to go. I want to go on a wine tour there very soon. I mean, the thing is, you are on a wine tour if you go there, even if you don't go on a wine tour. You're kind of, it's just France, but it's the epicentre of the best wine in the world. Yeah. But it is it is seriously good if you go in the summer and it's hot and it's it's just it's so agreeable hmm. yeah so Glyndebourne's a really cool opera house to sing in just nice and wooden and my in-laws have seen you sing there so many times that I might not have seen you for 23 years but I get an update oh very regular you're I'd say they're probably head of your your fan brigade really oh yeah have they, and they saw you have sing they been at- the kind of people did I just burp sorry um have they been <laughs> I thought I thought I did but I can't really hear my headphones but apologies um it's because I'm nearly the bottom the bottle of the bottom the bottle of the bottle um uh, did, 
Did, have they ever? I've got the feeling they approached so, you. Yeah, that was a so you're going to say I'm people. very, I'm worried. <laughs> yeah, I'm worried some people come because we have the long interval at Glyndebourne, so yeah. you par- you parade around in the interval and get have a picnic, <laughs> and people go, "Oh, my daughter was did archaeology with you at Cambridge." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that has. I, do, uh, I don't know if they will have done. I, I think they'd probably be too reticent to have approached you. I think, but they they admire you from a distance, definitely, and they it's saw, the best way. Yeah. <laughs> They've seen you. At, how did you sing at the store festival? Is that right? In oh yes, yeah, the Alfredellas. They, they, yeah. that, that was in two thousand and thirteen, the centenary of that's right, Alfredella's that's birth. And with, there was a, a a concert, which you know, take it as you will, was it was like a handbag of countertenders. It was like fourteen of us. Wow, it was it was kind of intense. Um, but everyone, the people there were dedicated. You're like really excited. But actually, for yeah. me, it was Andres Scholl and I. We we knelt down by uh, Alfredella's grave and had mm. a photograph, which I thought was really, you know, it was kind of for me that was like whoa, because Alfredella yeah. is like the godfather countenance. He died the year I was born, and then Andres Scholl is somebody I really, really kind of idolised. And then we were just sitting there by his grave. It was like this is cool. Yeah. Um, well, they thought but, that was an incredible concert. Oh right, okay, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Oh, they were there. So they do, do you do you hail from Kent? No, no, that's my in-laws. I'm from Cornwall. Oh, I hail in-laws. from. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, no. you're from Cornwall. Yeah. So like, that's right. So Wells weren't too much of a drive Festival, for me. That's like that. right. Yeah. And I used to go to Dartington. Did you used to do Dartington ever? No, but I was meant to do it this summer. Oh because uh, Sarah Moore Peach has taken over and she set up this really cool it was like me, Nika Mooney, and Fretwork yes. and various people. We're all gonna go down. And she was like, I'm sorry, there's not much money. It's like, no, 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 it's cool. So great. All these things. And mm. it was just fucking cancelled. And yeah. that was one of the earliest things that was cancelled last year. And there's so much stuff now. So I'm I meant to go to Santa Fe Opera in July yeah. to do Midsummer Stream. And Santa Fe is a I've never been there, but it's in New Mexico desert and it's cool, it's outdoors. So it probably will happen. Hmm. But wow. it was in a way, Harry Bickett, who who's head of music there, a really good friend of mine. I worked with him with the English concert stuff. And he was like, look, you know, Santa Fe in a way is is the kind of opera that lots of people do at the beginning of their career, and then some people come and do it because it's a really great place to be and stuff, but it's not a mega bucks earning kind of place. It's just a really nice, it's like Glyndebourne so in, in, in the desert. And I would, you know, after doing the Met and Toronto and all that stuff, I was like, yeah, I'll spend the summer in the desert. That'd be cool. Now it is my big earner for the year. And it's 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 one of those, a bit like Dartington. It was like, I really just wanted to do it as a sort of like relaxing thing. Yeah. But now I'm like, I really hope it happens. <laughs> yeah, thank because God. otherwise it's a massive hole in my bank accounts. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of scary. But um, yeah, I missed, I, that's what's stressful about this whole thing. Not to go bad about you know sad about yeah. it but it's all those nice payoff things and like giving something back and doing yeah. you know dartington work and stuff now it's just every man for himself it's like crazy kind of scrabbling away and people saying will you do this for free and it's like i just can't <laughs> i can't yeah. do it it's kind yeah. of terrifying um, so did you ever do dartington as well no i had friends that did it because um no i just didn't do it but i uh was it the sort of thing you kind of got paid to do or did you oh no I went as a student I used to go for yeah yeah it was great and they uh I mean they did pay people there was like the Brodsky Quartet used to be there every year that I went so I used to go and do and Kareem Georgian was the cello tutor I used to go to there but it's just it was really fun I used to sing in inverted commas bloody hell yeah that's nobody should have to hear that ever (laughs) yeah um who's the trumpet teacher there um who was there 
Oh, I've forgotten his I name. I wonder if Crispin Steele Perkins might have done it. Crispin probably would have yeah. done it, yeah. yeah. I think so, because they went through these, they'd have an early music week at the beginning and then it gets yeah. like, and then by the yeah, end yeah. it's like the contemporary stuff. Yeah. It's great, great place. Talking about Crispin Steele Perkins, um, when I... Uh, when I went to Royal College of Music, um, it was like 2005, I was in uh, an Oxfam and I found a CD. And the first CD, uh, the first track on it was Crispin Steel Perkins, Eternal Source of Light Divine with James Bowman. Oh, yeah. And oh. I'd never heard the song before. Not really a song, is it? Uh, what do you call it a song? Um, but I'd never heard, I, it's not really countertenor, that is it? It's, kind of, it's a bit low. Anyway, it's, it's countertenor, but it's very it's low. Good. And actually, it's quite low, yeah. Yeah, it's it's bottom well, baroque pitch, bottom A flat. Yeah. It's you know, most yeah, characters like, oh my god. Um, but I think it is written for a character. That's the good yeah. thing about it. Yeah. But I'd ne- I'd never heard that. And oh, it's such a beautiful piece of music. But um I'd never really heard a counter tenor sort of knowingly before. And uh yeah, that and that really got got me into Really want to make maybe want to really pursue the the natural trumpet, which I yeah. Think it's interesting you say that because that is a that is a track which I think for a lot of people who've never heard the counter sound stuff like that or brought music stuff is is a really good way in mm. because mm. I recorded it with Ali Balsam, and yes. whenever yeah. I get whenever I get PPL checks through, I look at the graph. That is mm. one of the top things that's played, obviously because the Royal Wedding. Yeah. Yeah. But that was some surprise with Alien singing soprano. I don't think yeah, soprano yeah. works as well because you're at the no. same pitch as the trumpet. So you don't have that kind of that sort of eternal source of light, the, the sun and the kind of, you know, the octave apart thing which works yeah. really well. I, I agree. Um but but yeah, I've always I always thought people always gravitate towards that record, you know, that they say, Oh, we love that piece mm. because you heard that and it I love that piece. I think it's so gloriously perfect. It's like a sunrise. It just, it's mm. just, yeah. And it's true yeah. alto singing. It's low. It's no, it doesn't go higher than an A, and it's a bottom A. So it's proper out. And it was written for somebody in the Chapel Royal to sing called Miss. Um, what his name now? But it's somebody they knew was a, was an alto in the choir. He, oh, okay. Yeah, he might have been a high tenor. He might have had like chest voice and then one falsetto. But either way, it was not a castrato, which Handel would have written for in the opera. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Yeah. I just I've always loved that. It, you know, really got me into enjoying that that uh, voice, the counter tenor voice, because it's. Mm. I think because you say it's not. It doesn't sing quite as high as a trumpet. It's not quite the same range, but. It does have maybe some of the same characteristics in terms of the kind of tone. You yeah, the overtones you create. Yeah, I think yeah. with a countertenor, if you if you're projecting, there's a lot of upper performance going on, mm. which and it's quite a sort of. I mean, I suppose bad countertenor singing is very nasal. It's very kind of forced because it's a head voice yeah. thing. But if you get the right balance, it's like an arch trumpet. It's very much supported by the breath, and it, it mm. and that sort of when you get the spinning sound. Um, it doesn't work with a natural trumpet. I imagine if you start controlling it too much from up here, you have to really rely no, on the kind of you can't really central do heating. too much. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Like even you, you wouldn't put any, any vibrato on it or yeah. at all. Maybe tight. I mean, very subtly. Yeah, it's almost like a French horn or something. Mm. You just let it sing.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.